Maybe that's a feeling of agitation caused by the presence or imminence of danger. Why do you think people believe in ghosts? difference is between you and me? I make this look good. Does anybody else feel like a fried egg? Recently, two high school students unearthed a prehistoric man in their own backyard. <laughs> their story is completely true. for interest's sake, a deadly game? To the game. In. Well, now I really believe this. Well, you better go now, Dave, before the clowns take over, huh? And when you get back from saving the world, I want a full written report so I can give it to the chief when he gets back on Monday. <laughs> One. Hello, 
ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to Inside Movies Galore. I'm your host, David Stregge, and here we are enjoying a double dis uh, discussion, the second film uh, we're doing on Inside Movies Galore, and uh, it is a, f um, and uh, I chose these choices for reasons. And uh, and Superman just so happens to be a personal favorite of mine um, from 1992, directed by Le uh, uh, Les Mayfield. And uh, let me just give a little brief uh, intro uh, of of uh, what IMDb says about the film. So uh, when they find a frozen caveman in their backyard. Two high school outcasts thaw him and introduce him to a modern life while he in turn gets them to actually enjoy life. So, oh going on that, um, Dustin, uh, well, this was a South Park episode with the <laughs> man from 1996 or whatever it was. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they, they and, it, and it was. They did Go this ahead. gag, but with uh, somebody who had only been frozen for a couple of years. <laughs> and, uh, I feel like it was pretty much like well, a and, uh, parody of this movie. In the Grim wow. Adventures of Billy and Mandy, they did uh, basically this exact same story, except that the caveman was Fred Flintstone. Dustin, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, what was your first impressions of this film? Well, um, I have kind of a lot of thoughts, so, uh, well, at first, um, yeah, that was pretty much what I was thinking. It's like, oh, yeah, this is just that South Park episode. Um, but then after a while, um, I don't know, I got this weird feeling of existential dread off of it, because it's... <laughs> Well, if you think about it, I mean, this is a movie that could have only happened at that particular time, in that particular yes. place, yes. like, only in the 90s, you know, yes. like, just, like, yeah. looking at, like, the attitudes and stuff. Yeah. That were, that were there, like, the sensibilities, um, the stereotypes, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. it, it feels very dated, um, mm -hmm. but almost in, like, a, almost in, like, an, in, like, an innocent way. Like, oh yeah, it's it's a product of its time. It's it's right up there with Wayne's World in that way. Product of its time is a good is a oh, good word. So. <laughs> um, but it was just kind of like you know this this kind of time in like American history will never come again. Like it will never be like this like ever again. <laughs> like in a in a good way or a bad way. <laughs> in a sad way. Oh. Yes. So I don't know. I, you could a lot of anxiety afterward. <laughs> you could say that about any like film that really embodies its time. You know, like uh, well, th this not to not to jump in, but like this reminded me a lot of uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure in the same way that it was same kind of high school losers, but it, that was very very eighties, and this is very well early nineties specifically, but. Yeah, it kind of, they both embody their time periods very heavily. One difference. Way. It was a lot of fun, and it was a, it was a really enjoyable movie. Like, it, it genuinely was. It was just kind of like this feeling of sadness. It's like, oh, we are, we are watching dead people. Yes. <laughs> one, one, one difference, though, is there is a new Bill and Ted movie coming out. 
I don't know oh. if I could see a new Encino man. I, I don't, it will probably happen eventually, but I, I just don't know. It'd be a, it'd be a reboot, and then it would be all like Twitter, Instagram, you know, uh, TikTok. Get the caveman on TikTok. Yeah, it would save. The the caveman would probably be immensely popular on TikTok. Caveman would rule TikTok. Who are we kidding? <laughs> no, actually, no, no. This okay. It start. It would start that way. Except that the whole third act would be the caveman running for president and winning. If there are screenwriters <laughs> listening. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, it's, it's, it's such a 90s premise, too. Like, remember in the 90s when, I mean, you had movies like this, and then you also had movies like, what if, like, a chimpanzee, but he becomes the president? Or, right. what if the older brother from Boy Meets World, like, dates the, goes on a date with the president's daughter? You know? Uh-huh. Again, so, only in the 90s could you have some a work of art like this. <laughs> <laughs> how you will. <laughs> oh, but no, it was, uh, it was very, it was very nostalgic. Uh, for like, because I used to watch like the Three Ninjas movies, you know, oh, yeah. those, and it, it really felt, it really felt like the same. Uh, and well, what the heck is that sound in the background? I don't know. Die, Cubert. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, this uh, this also kind of reminded me of the way I used to feel like watching certain movies a long time ago. Mm-hmm. With um, you know, I didn't I didn't grow up in like the kinds of settings that these movies took place in, but I always really wished I did. So mm-hmm. something yeah. about it kind of tripped off like a deep feeling of sadness mm. i see well i mean that honestly um that was part of the 90s aesthetic and like the the image that a lot of like quote-unquote 90s movies projected was mm-hmm. this idea it was all california the beach you know surfer yeah, yeah. talk dude you know it was everyone was all that. million dollar house exactly it was it was yeah. all of that and the truth is that that only was true for a very specific group of people it just oh, yeah. for whatever reason the media just globbed onto it and um and the larger culture followed but yeah it never it never made a lot of sense to me but then again mm-hmm. most people in the 70s weren't wearing platform shoes and you know bell bottoms and stuff necessarily mm-hmm. i mean there were plenty that did but enough to where it you know became the stereotype but it's like with the end, you know, like the you can say that about any any like you know fashion statement or any anything that yeah. gets associated with the decade. It's oh. like yeah, there were enough of them to where it became a thing, but it well, it did it was did not encompass everybody. Like um, you know, like even, in, uh, even as a young child, as a young child, bear that in mind. In the eighties, 
I did not necessarily wear the Dayglo neon that's associated with the 80s, at least yeah, not on a regular gosh. basis. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, a little, it's a little extreme. And like a good example is like, even if you want to go back as far as like the 50s, it's like, was everybody a greaser and look like they came out of Greece? No. I mean, if you, if you look at something like Brokeback Mountain, which I think it starts off in the 50s, like the way that those people are dressed, they look like they could be walking around now. You know, it's like, it's just good old fashioned, like blue jeans and, you know, uh, plaid shirts and stuff. And it's like, well, that's pretty timeless. But, um, yeah, it's just, it's the difference between like looking at things through like a, well, what we would now call a nostalgic lens, but at that time it was current, you know, it's like, um, it's trying to appeal to what are the kids into and how can we speak to them and blah, blah, blah. And then it, that then, becomes ingrained in the audience who watches it and then mm -hmm. you know years later they say oh i'm nostalgic for this and it just kind of feeds itself as opposed to the reality is that well okay yeah there were enough people that were like that but for the most part people kind of sort of dressed like they did in every other year um mm -hmm. but that's specifically the fashion obviously uh technology that changes pretty fast but um you know it's just an interesting nostalgia is a very interesting thing because it is very mm -hmm. illusory and it is very subjective and mm -hmm. not a whole lot of it is based in anything actually real except when it comes to like yeah there's fashion trends there's technological changes but it is still very much a state of mind rather than something that actually exists actually that um, um i think I think what I was trying to say earlier was nostalgia for the way we hoped we wanted things to be. Right. Uh, well, like, you mean, like, people, like, like, relative, like, relative yeah, peace time. I think every um, high school in the 90s. Just to kind of, I mean, I, I was very young in the 90s, so, like, my, my childhood childhood was in the 90s, not, uh, I was yeah. like, uh, I was like, uh, I, I do think every high schooler in the '90s wished they could just go out in the yard and build a pool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If I saw this in the '90s when I was a kid, I, I would be like, "Yeah, that's how you that's how you put a pool in. You just exactly. dig a hole." I did try to dig a hole. Actually, the only one here who saw this. Uh, when it was when it came out at the at as close as it could be to the particular age that one should be when watching the film, I was about <laughs> thirteen ish when it came out, and this film being the debut of uh, Polly Shore, I didn't know better. Is this his um, debut? Oh, yeah, apparently. Oh. He's so young, I almost didn't recognize him, but then he talked, and it was like, oh, yeah. all right. Apparently, it was, also, apparently it was also Rose McGowan's movie debut. I wondered if that yeah. was her. Yeah, she was well, in she, she was in Biodome as well, which probably <laughs> um, uh, Biodome also had Polly Shore. Something yes. about yes, it did. Well, it's a, uh, and then here's, the, and then the, the weird thing is like, drama, that's a great film drama line. You should yeah, have no. trouble in that bubble. 
Yes, I'm going to go. I'm Charles Troubleman. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and that was really Polly Shore's voice, too. Um, and the, uh, the thing that I find interesting is... Uh, because well, this is this was the first time watch for me, but like, I didn't I knew about people's hatred for Polly Shore, but I never really grew up with him, um, <laughs> which is probably just as well. But um, the thing that I noticed when watching this was that his speech patterns were pretty much exactly replicated in a goofy movie, which <laughs> which a goofy movie, let me tell you, talk about 90s, holy shit. Yo, yeah. Yeah, it was. It's, we uh, should do that someday. We should. A goofy movie is a really that's a good movie, surprisingly. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, this was a first time watch for me. I, I had first heard of the movie actually and uh, an advertisement in a 1992, I want to say, like, Spider-Man comic or some other Marvel comic that I I had gotten mm-hmm. in, like, uh, like, I think it was one of those, like, antique shop kind of things, you know, where you, you find old comics. I saw mm-hmm. that, I love the old ads in comics, especially, mm-hmm. like, early 90s ones, but, um, yeah, the, I, I first heard about it there, but I never really had any interest in seeing it, mm-hmm. to be honest. Um, oh, I, I really, yeah, I really didn't, but, um, the, uh, and I saw it for this, and, um, you know, it was one of those things where I could see why in the ads, why they said, if you liked Wayne's World, you'll like this, because it did have a very Wayne's Worldy feel to it, except, like, if you cross Wayne's World with Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, I think you'd get this, mm-hmm. um, it, uh, you know, and I don't, now I don't think it's as good as either one of those, especially not as good as Wayne's World, because Wayne's World was really smart. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, this yeah. is, this is more just kind of, this is more just kind of silly, dumb fun, but as far as that goes, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's definitely serviceable on that level. It, uh, I can see why that film alone would have been more than enough reason to cast Brendan Fraser as George of the Jungle, because it's like, yeah, you can very clearly see the genesis there. Now, I did... I was funny. I, I did think it to myself that this was Brennan Fraser's actual origin story. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> I, I, I did grow up with George of the Jungle. I think I actually saw that in the theater when I was like five or something like that. I think um, I did too. Yeah, and, and let me it's tell you. That, well, and that's a movie, let me tell you. George of the Jungle, it holds up. Like it is, it's surprisingly really smart and like really like witty. Laugh. Ready, ready. <laughs> there's so, there's so much like it's so like it's it's so like dumb, but it's so brilliant in its dumbness. Like they they know exactly what they're doing, and they do. I think some of the funniest fourth wall breaking I've ever seen in a movie. Um, so yeah, it holds up. But yeah, I can see why Ben um, Fraser why he got that role because his role here is very similar. Um, and uh, yeah, he he definitely does look cavemanish, but still, uh, <laughs> but still, you know, handsome, you know, enough to where he could be a heartthrob of his time, which he was. And um, yeah. you know, it's a uh, it, it's a uh, it definitely hits all the beats you'd want from a movie like this. I don't think it's great, but I think it uh, it definitely hits it hits what you would want it to hit. I don't think it's deserving of like the whatever like fifteen percent on Rotten Tomatoes, but at the same time, I don't really give Rotten Tomatoes any thought anymore. Um, 
but yeah. throw, throw some darts at a board and you'll you'll okay. get the rotten tomato. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, and she, as a teen in the early '90s, these films were very, uh, very common. It is that that whole idea of like some teens stumble upon something there. You have some of the '80s with that with weird science. Yeah, Curly's gold. The fact that Sean Astin's name in here was David, he really was me. Uh, uh, when I was, swear to God, because he really acted exactly like I acted when hmm. I was a kid. Oh man, I'm so sorry. And I hear Fred almost exactly like him, except he was really tall, and um, he was kind of a weirdo. So I can relate Holly Shore's character somewhat. (laughs) We can all all relate to being weirdos. You know what's what's funny? Uh, you know what's funny is actually um, back when I used to watch the Nostalgia Critic, which I don't anymore, and yeah. that's a whole that's a whole separate side rant about how mm-hmm. fucking horrible and corrupt Channel Awesome is. But anyway, when I did watch when I did watch him when I was younger, um, he did a review of Biodome, and he said something that I thought was rather uh, insightful because I'd never heard it put this way before. But he basically said that. Uh, Polly Shore is to white people what Jar Jar Banks is to black people. That's bad. Which I like. Uh, I no, thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. I did like him in Phantom of the Mall. Mm. <laughs> Phantom of the Mall? What? You know, um, it just occurred to me, I don't really know Polly Shore movies. Neither do I. Yeah, I could say I know that either. I feel like Brandon showed me Biodome. You did, right? Am I? I, I, have, I grew up in that time period. I was in mm-hmm. that. I was the target demographic back when it was back in the heyday of Polly Shore. All of the god awful number of films that he was in. And you know, Tammy and Rex. I, I think I, was, uh, it wasn't it. See, I, I, I'm coming from this a little different in that uh, I feel like I probably saw bits of this back in the day. I probably saw part of it on TV once, or maybe someone was watching it. I knew it by name and reputation because, yes, Pauly Shore had a reputation even back then. It was like he had two or three years where he was on top, and then it was, oh, God, Pauly Shore. And it was like... He was kind of like the Dane Cook of his day, wasn't he? Oh, he yeah. had like that really... I don't think... I don't think the character and everything, and you can only kind of handle so much of it before you get sick of it. I don't think out. Dane Cook was ever as ubiquitous as Polly Shore, though. But I know uh, a little bit uh, of Dane, Dane, Dane Cook, he's in everything. Yeah, he had a meteoric... He had a me. Well, I would disagree with that. He had a meteoric rise to fame very quickly, thanks to MySpace, 
And, like, people of my generation, like, I was, like, middle school age at the uh, time that he was really big. And my brother, my older brother, he was, like, early high school age. And let me tell you, his stand-up, it influenced, it, like, people would not only reference the bits, but, like, certain mm -hmm. things about it became so commonplace that it just entered the lexicon like the friend that nobody likes and things like that yeah, they just they just entered the lexicon like they were that ingrained in, yeah but it's like they, they were that ingrained in our just vernacular and then once some of his movies once they didn't do especially well then that's when the star faded really fast um and and i think that's part of why like I, well, I would compare him to Polly Shore, even though I do like Dan Cook quite a bit. I like I don't. I get why people. I get why people don't, and I don't put anything against them if they don't like him. I think it's partially because us Danes got to stick together, um, <laughs> but also um, code of Danes. Exactly. He also tends to play, he also play a little bit more of a jerk kind of character. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. And I've, I've seen a few of his movies. My youngest brother is a big fan, and so I definitely saw some of his stuff. And, uh, I, and I, liked, course, I liked Employee of the Month. Like That was actually, that was actually a pretty good one. And of yeah. course, waiting was thoroughly underrated. I yeah. mean, I worked as a waiter. Waiting was a oh. lot better than the critics said it was. Oh, <laughs> uh, hey, real quick. Uh, I forgot the most important part of First Impressions. Mm -hmm. So okay. I first heard about this movie what, six, seven hours ago when I found out it was tonight's movie? <laughs> you first heard of it, though? Yeah, it had been completely oh, on wow. radar as a thing. Like, wow. I knew South Park was parodying something when I saw that <laughs> so many years ago, but I had no idea what until today when it clicked and it was like, ah. Oh. Oh. I was introduced through comic books because they advertised Me too. out of it in comics. See, that's what I'm saying. Like, this was ubiquitous back in the day. I just don't know that I ever really saw it. The first time I know for sure I watched it was last night. I, like, watched the whole thing. When I bought this movie up for Caveman Month, yeah. I remember you saying, Dustin, what the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> so there, Dustin, you did hear about it. But <laughs> oh. no. Well, you blocked it. I didn't remember. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I do, I do want to say that after watching it, you guys have already hit on this point quite a bit, but I, I definitely came away with that oil. That is a movie that's a product of its time. It, it screams early 90s in both good and bad ways. <laughs> and um, there's definitely an element of nostalgia. Like, And even then, it, it, it trafficked on nostalgia even then. Um, I saw a bit on IMDb that said that, um, what's his name? Um, well, Sean Astin, for one. But um, Kehui Khan, uh, the two of them co-starred in Goonies, and IMDb says that this is the first and only time that two of the cast members of Goonies have shared a scene together since then. Mm -hmm. and that's like that's really strange, first of all, but that's definitely playing on nostalgia and. Um, Especially since Kwan was basically, I think he was basically out of acting by, the, well, not really, but mostly out of acting by this point. Yeah. He had a short yeah. stint because he was cast a short round in Temple of Doom. In yeah. Movie. 
Yeah, talk about, talk about your uh, racist typecasting, but it was a fun character. <laughs> I, I will defend Short Round because I, I I will defend Short Round like crazy. Uh, it was a fun character. It's just you watch it now and you're like, oh my god, what was I mean, they, 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 they might have laid it on a little thick, but at the right. same time, like, he's a street kid who, I mean, right. he's lucky that he knows any English at all, and it's like, yeah, you know... He's, he's, so much, he's so much more entertaining than the female lead in that Yes, most, most, de most definitely. He had a couple of those sort of uh, outdated moments, but they, right. weren't, they weren't, like, quite too egregious. Like, like there was the... There was the guys in the bar, and that was kind of yeah. that was kind of like eh, you let know, it go. you let it go real quick. And then there, was, there were a couple like they, well, you had the two high schoolers who were trying to rap in, and then the caveman comes in and he gets it right away. And I'm like, oh my god, that doesn't feel right. There were a yeah. couple moments like that, but one of the things that dated it the most had to be there. Was also, yeah, one of the things that dated it the most, but also was kind of fascinating for me, was the jerk boyfriend, Matt. Oh, is played yeah. by Michael DeLuise, who of course is the son of Dom DeLuise and the younger brother of, uh, is it Peter DeLuise? And of course, Peter starred in 21 Jump Street before he decided he wanted to be a director. And they basically brought Michael in to kind of replace him and also Johnny Depp. And so for one full season of Jump Street, he was one of the main cast, or half a season. But well, just that association with Jump Street is the main thing I know him from. Well, and I'm like, well, that really dates it. <laughs> well, no, there's also there's also where he drops uh where he drops the f bomb, like not not right. the good f bomb, the bad f bomb. But uh, I think that was oh, one of my yeah. favorite moments. Mm -hmm. I think that was one of my favorite parts of the movie because he immediately gets his ass kicked. <laughs> like, yeah. Kaboom. Like, he says oh, it, pow. He gets his ass kicked a couple oh. times, and that's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he was, uh... Actually, you know who he reminded me of was the villain in Return of... I mean, Revenge of the Nerds. <laughs> kind of, the kind of bully that was beyond the ogre... Nerds are like the overstrong jock character, but mm -hmm. the guy who was actually almost smarmy and charismatic in his own way when he did yeah. his bullying, he did have that like, I'm a strong person yeah. and I'm going to use my strength, but he also had that weird personality about him mm -hmm. that was more than kind of the 2D bullies. He could almost see his two, uh, his two, uh, Minions is just like I like that he um, like he was a, a prototypical bully character, but like you said, the way that he's played, he has a teensy bit more of a sway to him right. than others might, and particularly it's because like I think he has some of the more memorable lines, like "I will mm -hmm. piss on your girls if your teeth are on fire," and it's like. You know, it's like, what the fuck does that even mean? That, that's that's right up there with Actually, he, that, said, that's, he said she wouldn't piss on yeah, her. Uh, and I was like, 
Yes, you were. <laughs> well, but the, uh, the, uh, a different kink than we're used to. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, that was right up, th- that was right up there with Biff Tannen's Make Like yeah. Free and Get Out of Here. Yeah. Um, exactly. But, like, that's, that's what I mean. It's like, you can do bully characters, but it's more so about giving them a little bit more personality, and I think that he did that. And then, well, mm-hmm. my, my, I'm kind of jumping ahead here, but my favorite scene was, I, I think my favorite scene was towards the end when he does, it's the cliched, uh, the big reveal, the, uh, the, the, you know, the, 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 the character with superpowers gets revealed in front of everybody or the right. big secret comes out and then everybody's like, oh, no, no. yeah, that was, I thought that was a great way to just turn. Oh my God. Out. His reaction to, no, no. Yeah, his his reaction to that was just like his reaction, but also just the way that they turned the cliche on its head. Like that was really well done. Like I, I don't think it's got like the smartest writing in the world, but like it's yeah. nowhere, but it's nowhere near the dumbest. And also mm-hmm. like that that was a notable uh, good way to reverse that cliche. And um, now talking about. Know. Also, like you were saying about his charisma and the whole thing of that was his one of his strong points, and then to show in that moment that people just weren't listening to him anymore. Oh yeah, but his his power his power faded because the caveman caught on surprisingly quickly. Which I mean, you could easily read into it like a little bit more of like a little like this is probably giving a little too much credit, but you could read in. (laughs) You could read in some aspects of social satire in the sense that a caveman, this animalistic, primitive human, is able to adapt to the 90s youth culture pretty quickly. It's like, it's kind of like Beavis and Butthead in that respect, that it's sort of like Mm -hmm. a tribute to teenagers, but it's also like making fun of them at the same time. Um, (laughs) And, uh, you know, in that respect, it's like you could probably read into it like that. Because he does adapt to their world pretty quickly, and mm-hmm. part of it is because Brendan Fraser, like he, I think one of his best talents is that he well, he's, was he was at that time not so much anymore, but like at that time mm-hmm. he was a very like obviously very good looking guy, but he had that right amount of just kind of lovable dumbness about him, uh, and. Um, you know, I think that that was what really gave him his charm back in the day, and uh, you know, he uh, in this film, like, he definitely has that you know, likable uh, you know, someone who's not he didn't have to say much, you know no, he didn't, he, he did tremendous he did tremendous emotion uh, emoting with his, just his face and the few noises and things that he did make uh, which I give him all the as a student of silent film and minimalism and all that, I gave him all the credit in the world for that. Because um, he did convey a very clear character, and he wasn't just um, reactionary. Like, you got the sense that this is somebody who... He likes he likes socialization, he likes to go with the flow. Oh, yeah. I you know, compare that museum scene, where, where he starts to see everything, to, mm-hmm. to that seeing an ice age where Manny is looking at the cave paintings. Yeah, I thought that or like in Planet of the Apes when uh, uh, Taylor goes and sees the primitive, the uh, humans in the museum. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got a sense of that too, but um, 
you know, it's uh, yeah, he he's a very clear character in that he does like socialization. He likes all this new exciting, these new exciting things, and he's not like the standard like he's scared of everything. Like he has a little bit of that in the early days, but for the most part, it's it goes away relatively quickly, and it's replaced by oh, I can get down with this, like with the TV. Like, yeah. Yeah, he didn't want to like destroy it outright, but he like kind of he got the sense of the music. He got into it pretty quite quick. Mm-hmm. He was a very musical character, which I mean mm-hmm. that also um, primitive primitive uh, humans did develop music surprisingly quickly relative to other things. And um, mm-hmm. so music is quite old in that respect. So I I could definitely buy that. Um, as far as uh, which I guess, like, uh, what was said before was the idea of, oh, he picks up on the hip-hop dancing really fast, which I, oh, think yeah. that, I think that that's partially because, well, music in and of itself is so um, universal, it's and it's so universal, and it's, it's as old, it's older than recorded history, but that leads into the question of, well, connotations and things that may or may not have aged well, which I... I got more of a sense of, well, again, it's very of its time, but, like, I, I think the alcohol the, to the teenager thing, that wouldn't work today, especially, uh, well, that wouldn't work as well as, like, the fact that the the girls in here are just there to be aqu- uh, acquired or won by the, the mm-hmm. boys, um, and, and the fact that, like, Indeed. you know, if, well, and, like, if, if, uh, and it's a it's a double like thing. The, uh, the character that Robin Tunney plays basically yeah. the best friend character, who's a really a total bitch to the two main dudes. But then oh. she's in that caveman, and she's like, she's all about. Well, and, and something that wouldn't really work this same way today uh, is when he so he sees her and he goes for her, and she well immediately does respond to his being right. like assertive and forward, which. Okay, to be fair, that that's still uh, men who are uh, maybe they don't like go quite that far with it, but like men who right. do have an assertiveness to them that can still yeah. be a turn on for a woman. But like, if you try to do that same thing in that same way today, like people would immediately go weep, you know, or uh, you know, sexual yeah. assault or whatever. And, and it's like the, you know, it's like the way, it's a very delicate line to make sure that you're not, you know, crossing or whatever. And that's why I say it's very context dependent and you'd have to be really careful with how you did a scene like that today. I love how Robin Tooney's character, uh, when she like uh, makes a noise in the classroom and the teacher's like, you know that the, that, these cavemen are not. Uh, if if you actually dated a caveman, they would be a hell of a lot more violent. And she's like, ooh, mm-hmm. or something like that. Uh, you know, again, uh, it's all different uh, things. If you're looking at it, it's all about different uh, cultural things. because the culture of the '90s was uh, special uh, <laughs> in its way, uh, and. It was, uh, but again, it, it's it's all different. I mean, just like today's culture would find, I mean, I'm sure the people, the kids of the 90s would look at, like, uh, the kids of today and, like, what? 
what the heck is going on with them? Yeah, <laughs> right. it's, it's a it's a weird it's a weird thing. Times change, but like, and I, I still I still think that like you could do the same basic thing of a primitive man wanting to get his woman and her, uh, one of them like maybe liking the fact that this guy is more assertive than other guys. You don't just have to establish that maybe the other boys that she's interacting with are too, like, mamby-pamby, and maybe that is what's, you know, turning her off or whatever. So that way, once you've established that, then there's enough contrast to where you get, okay, I see why this person would go for this other person. This would, um, be, a good, uh, this would be a good thing to ask Katie about. Yeah, well, it just, because I, well, and I, the reason I say that is because, like, we, uh, this last decade was the one that gave us Fifty Shades of Grey, which is a very, extreme, <laughs> well, that's oh, a very, okay. that's a very extreme, like, unhealthy relationship, and yet, you know, the, the, the essential appeal of it was that you had this guy with a lot of power and sway who was acting upon this person, and, you know, that apparently, I guess, I never read him, but, like, that was apparently part of the appeal, and so it's like, you don't have to go that destructive with it, you just take the basic uh, motivation of somebody that likes uh, their, uh, you know, their man, in this case, to have a little bit more initiative, and you just set up that sufficient contrast, and that'll make it land better as opposed to the idea that oh if you're just really aggressive the woman will automatically go for it it's like well no that well, that that's the part that i was getting well, that's at that's really getting a lot of trouble that's that's what i mean it's yeah. like that setting it up that way it wouldn't work today so you'd have to do a lot more work on the front end to make it work today <laughs> mm -hmm. i mean there's a there's an actual movie out uh recently called 365 that's even worse than Fifty Shades of Grey, but it's also very popular with people who would have considered that sort of thing a, a terrible thing, which was, uh, you know, it, it's about this gang, uh, this uh, gangster, this leader of this, and he basically kidnaps this girl and forces him, forces her into servitude until she ends up loving him. Mm -hmm. so this is extremely popular with the same crowd that would technically be offended by this so again it's it's all relative to uh what you're watching um well, and, and it's dependent on like it, are the, and it depends on like are they controlling the experience of consuming this media because there's part of why that kind of narrative tends to be popular in books because books are obviously very active and you're choosing to read those and you're helping to kind of guide the experience whereas movies are mm -hmm. a little bit more passive in terms of how they, they act you lose yourself in the experience or at least that's what you know that that's what is uh sold to you um now but again it's like it's also what particular you know kinks might turn someone on uh and there's a, and of course the difference between fantasy and reality because there are a lot of people that are really turned on by certain fantasies but if you try to do it in real life it, it uh more than likely it wouldn't really work anyway uh, back to <laughs> uh whew, that was uh that was an adventure <laughs> it always is. Uh, and you know, uh, man. So what we ha have is uh, a couple. Uh, uh, well, 
basically after so they dig up we haven't really touched on like that intro where we see the caveman and his partner like buried in the ice mm-hmm. they, just kinda dig, they just kind of dig him up when they're digging that big hole for the pool and yeah. so you, you do have another long-standing cliche where you have the teacher who happens to be teaching a relevant subject and they're talking about like Cro Magnum Man and all that stuff, and earthquakes and magna, ga, uh, glaciers under the surface and all that stuff. Yeah, trying to try to get at that exposition so bad. Like having it having to establish what permafrost is and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I just have to interject that I cannot think about glacier. Now, without hearing David Attenborough call it glaciers, I cannot do that. <laughs> and then he and then he found the mosquito in the amber, right? But, uh, no, that was Richard Attenborough. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like if you ever watch those BBC Earth, they're great productions. But David Attenborough has some interesting pronunciations. Oh <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's just being British. Well, yeah. Okay. So who mm. who digs a pool like that? Actually, Somebody who like, doesn't have a level. Somebody who doesn't want to dig a pool. You, no, you got to give Sean Aston credit. That was some back-breaking work to get a hole that big in that team. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That is, it is one hell of a hole. It didn't seem to be a plan that uh, that was told by its heirs that you must get this hole dug. Kepler <laughs> tells her that this plan <laughs> might have not been thought through. They probably didn't clear it with the city. <laughs> yeah, yeah, didn't get con- get didn't get contractors lined up. <laughs> he suddenly had a pool by, uh, by graduation. Hey, yeah. What was that movie? The animated movie, like Meet the. Um, gosh, I can't think of what. Where they they've got the T Rex under control. It's like uh, I can't reach them. I've got a big oh, head and tiny meet little arms. Meet, meet the Robinsons. Meet the Robinsons. Like I don't think that this plan was properly thought through. <laughs> <laughs> this is like a regular thing. It seemed like a good idea at the time. I think is the <laughs> yeah. Which now, to be fair, in high school, you could be shooting up heroin or you could be digging right. a hole. Like which of the two, I'd go with digging a hole. It's clearly a binary choice. I mean, clearly it's one or the other. They can't, you can't do both at the same time. So it makes you wonder how many of his classmates are shooting up and how many of them have big holes in the backyard. <laughs> or, or they just have big holes in general, if you know what I mean. Gross. Well, so <laughs> Sean Aston's character, he was meant to be this character that we all identify with, but Right. To me, he was one of the most unlikable characters in the film. He was, kind of, he was kind of a he was kind of a jerk. Like he was he was far too worried about things and trying to have things have, play out in a certain way. Yeah, and but see, can uh, I can identify with him. That doesn't mean I really liked him all that much. Well, that's the thing that it's it's about when you watch it because I remember originally watching it and 
really identifying with and liking the character, but I was 14 at the time. Yeah. And at 14, you are egocentric. You are... Yeah. You're learning to think between abstract and and uh, concrete thought processes. So, again, it, it makes sense that you're sitting there and you're identifying with this guy, but I'm looking at him now, I was like, this guy is selfish as hell. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, I mean like, Paul Shore looks like he's more selfless than this guy, and that's mm-hmm. bad. That is saying a lot, which, I mean, <laughs> that's, like, a movie that I saw when I was 15 in the theater that I, it was, like, the only time that I can think of that I was, like, the exact right intended demographic for this film. Like, it was, like, kind of dead on the money, in fact, um, at that time. I was 15 years old, and it was the first Transformers, uh, because that hit the the whole, like, you know, want to get a car, want to get a hot girlfriend, you know, want to have freedom, you know, all that kind of stuff like that. Definitely, like, that's Sam Witwicky's uh, driving motivation in the first one. And, um, yeah, and and, and, and that being said, you know, a lot of teenagers are are like that, so. And I think the first Transformers, I think the 1986, which actually was the first film I saw in theaters, and I think I was the target demographic then. Well, I was I was the target demographic for Mighty Morphin Power Rangers the movie when that came out, and yeah, talk about talk about nineties, holy shit! <laughs> yeah. I still haven't seen the movie, but God, I remember the series. Yeah, well, the movie is just as nineties as the show. Let me tell you, um, and I mean that with all all affection, because uh, I was like three or four when I saw it, and I ate it up, and uh, you know, and I still eat it up. Because uh, that that is nostalgic, but I fully acknowledge that it is as dumb as I'll get out. But that's why it's great. <laughs> now we have seen Robin Tooney as an actress in one mm-hmm. other film on the show, and that was The Craft. I really wish I caught that episode. I was so annoyed. <laughs> oh, well, uh, that being said, what do you guys think of this character that she's playing? against that character, those that were on the show. Well, I wasn't on that episode, so I can't say. Yeah, who was? I need a bit of a refresher. She was the she was the good girl, right? Yeah, she was the good girl, but she had powers. Yeah, uh, I guess kind of an interesting characterization there. Well, in my defense, the craft has four kind of villains, and one. I wasn't on for that episode either. Yeah, <laughs> no. We need to do Empire Records one of these days. Yeah, that was a good film. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about her films. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I vaguely remember the craft. I really wanted to see it again, which is why I didn't make the show because I couldn't see it again. But yeah, she was more of a good girl character. This one, she's more like the. You know, the slutty best friend, basically. <laughs> well, yeah. the, the reason why I say that is because I actually watched her on the show The Mentalist, and oh. and she uh, plays like a detective character where she's kind of m- somewhat mostly a straight edge. <laughs> her mm-hmm. tries to be. 
she cannot uh, uh, entirely be around Patrick Jane very long, uh, along, along with a straight face. <laughs> but um, hmm. that, uh, that being said, I I thought it was very diff uh, different. Me actually recognizing her this young, because <laughs> uh, I I remember her, uh, her as a much later character. So. <laughs> But uh, in any ca uh, case, um, is there anything else that anyone wants to mention about this film? Uh, well, we've, uh, we've hardly touched on like a lot of the fun stuff. Like there are so many. This this movie is almost like a montage of just like fun scenes. You know, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, they they clean him up. You know, they they put him in like their clothes. Like it has a very well. First, they put the ice cube in. The, they put the ice cube in the. In the tool shed. Garage, and with all these space heaters around it, and then just go to school. And then it's even to catch fire to burn the whole house down. <laughs> well, yeah, I like that moment where Sean Aston goes in there and he sees all the water on the floor and there's nothing left. And, he, and for a minute, you think he believes that he melted the whole thing. And of course, his reaction to the house with Polly Shore mm -hmm. uh, when they see the hands and the face print mm -hmm. on the window, the, mm -hmm. everything is just trashed, and then all of a sudden, mm -hmm. the uh, the smoke alarm goes off. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because he's trying to build a fire. There's a fun part that's when, uh, at the end of the movie when you find out that. Um, his girlfriend survived too. That was a very interesting sequence too, because because uh, they showed like the uh, the whole earthquake sequence, uh, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden uh, uh, it's like they, they they were trying to slightly. Bring I like about how the, I like mm -hmm. that I like how the earthquake served sort of a narrative purpose, and that it's like oh that's how they're. Ice blocks got close enough to the surface for them to be unearthed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that was a good way to do like a well a dream sequence, but also a flashback kind of all in one. Oh yeah, I think so. Mm -hmm. it, it was uh, it was kind of cool just to see how it how it all mm -hmm. came together at the oh. end. And I, I didn't expect his girlfriend to get thawed out. I expected him to get one of the high school girls, but <laughs> but I am glad that she did get thawed out because that mm -hmm. just that felt right, you know. Really? I was pretty happy with that too. Well, she I, was she was a babe once they cleaned her all up. I sort of I sort of suspected expected them to do it, and it was like, oh yeah, good for that. Of course, it was one of those things where he kind of set up a sequel, but it never was. You know, that's like, <laughs> not that there needed to be one, but it really kind of felt like he cut it out. There was actually a sequel, believe it or not. It was a made for TV because okay, the, writer, that. the writer had actually made a made-for-TV movie. I don't know much about it, but I looked up the, uh, uh, the writer behind this a little bit before. And she's also the screenplay writer for Son-in-Law, which oh, also... Oh, God. Uh, 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 Show. Oh, that sequel? But evidently, it was a made-for-TV movie. <laughs> it would be. And it was called Hensuna Woman. Oh, actually, I think I did hear about that. Well, the the director, Les uh, Mayfield, he went on to direct a movie that 
I remembered seeing in theaters very clearly, which was Flubber. Oh, Brandon, you like this. The the sequel starred Bobcat Goldplate. Oh, well, I have to see it now, man. It's like, uh, it has a 2.8 rating on IMDb. It's yeah. But I, I, saw, I saw Flubber in theaters when I was five, and I remembered it very clearly. And, uh, you know, that that was another one that, like, it's, it's one of those ones that doesn't... I loved it when I was a kid, and then you get older, and you're like, "Yeah, this doesn't really hold up." And <laughs> like, I don't, I don't hate it now or anything, but it's like, yeah, it, it was definitely made for little kids, pretty much. Yeah, the writer of the, uh, of, of the screenplay for this, her name was Sean Sheps, and it surprised mm-hmm. me that it was a female that actually wrote uh, wrote this story, mm-hmm. uh, which is actually kind of cool, uh, to be honest. Told for, uh, 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 written from a female perspective, so that was kind of interesting. Uh, and now I have to explain why, like the female characters in this weren't. We made them sound kind of thin, but they they had personality to them. They did. They did. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't their movie, but at the same time, like you could have done a lot worse in that department. Um, mm-hmm. well, and plus the. The interactions between the three guys, they, you know, like, the, the caveman is into girls, obviously, because, well, you know, he's a primitive man, and, uh, you know, the, the teenage boys, yeah, they want to get the girls, but it isn't anywhere near as, as, f- like, flat-out crude as you might get in a modern movie these days. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get the sense that these are three guys who talk about deeper things than that like more about like their aspirations and stuff and like you know that that's something that um you will often get more of in uh you know uh, female writer uh movies that are either dramas or comedies that are kind of interpersonal in some way or another um and then with a lot of like more guy-centric comedies it'll be more of like the raunchy shenanigans like a bachelor party or at the hangover or something mm-hmm. like that and there's there's a little bit less sharing of hopes and dreams and stuff um now again there are variances within all those things but by and large that's what you see and uh i do feel like that was an element of this that definitely stood out relative to others of its type and so yeah i mean i don't I, certain things like if you were to do that today i think the females would be more fleshed out, um, but at the same time, yeah. it it wasn't their movie number one, but also um, it was a product of its time. But I, I do think that you could have done a lot worse in that department. Yeah, easily. If I were, if I was to look at this, I don't think that I really don't think that these type of comedy movies were uh, are no longer relevant to this day and age. I just think that they've evolved because there are plenty of similar comedies. Which you look at, look I at Bridesmaids. Bridesmaids was uh, just as raunchy, just as the shoot Ghostbusters 2016. That comedy was about on the same level as Encino Man when it came to the uh, humor. I would almost say Encino Man was more intelligent, but that's <laughs> that tells you in a lot of ways that. Yeah, it's not necessarily dead, but I think a lot of it was utilized. It's just like this one built upon things like Weekend at Bernie's. 
or others of its time. I think that uh, one's life yeah, rides the time in when the time when everyone lived in a million dollar house yeah. <laughs> in California, and that was the only state that existed. In fairness, this is the same year the Home Alone came out, and they lived in a million dollar house in Chicago. Yeah. Oh, they lived in like a four million dollar house in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding? <laughs> that was ten rooms, if not more. Yeah, that was like several houses all in one. <laughs> That's true. Uh, it was like a legit mansion. Like this is like a really nice, like upper middle class home in this right. room, but but yeah, doing well. Given the uh, zip code, it was probably still a million or better. Were they both CEOs or something? National Lampoon's, that was pretty impressive if you think about it. Well, and actually, along those lines, like when the parents get home and they see the place totally trashed, it's like, well, I thought I would try to make dinner for y'all. It's like, what the hell does this guy do to make dinner? And the parents are cool with that explanation. This is an exchange (laughs) student. Don't you remember the conversation we had? Uh, you know, I you just not pay attention to me. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Sure. Oh, yeah, we're bad parents. I just remembered that. Oh crap. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're bad parents. Honestly, like I got the vibe that they don't really pay attention to them. Like, right. Eh. Actually, I'm trying to remember what I know. I know Richard Mazur from something. I'm trying to remember what he's the father. Let's see here. So in two, these were the highest grossing films of 1992. Oh, he was bored to death. That was a good show. Aladdin. Uh-huh. Aladdin what was it? In 1992. And Polly Shore was this. Is, this actually was Polly Shore's uh, key to fame. Pretty much. Again, it was that obsession with these characters who were really cool at the time. But as as everybody knows. Ads, and it was a fad, and he was a fad. I mean, look at his fashion and all that. That just it says that he's a fad, and fads change very mm-hmm. quickly. So it did not, it didn't last very long. No, but uh, it was, it was the high point of cool at the time. Mm-hmm. And I remember that because in high school that was the thing. You know, that was the and for me it was, I it was an okay movie. Yeah. I loved his weasel thing that he did. That was kind of... <laughs> weasel! Buddy? <laughs> 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 oh, like that coda to the end. Buddy? It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it took me a minute to remember, oh, right, that was his, that was his thing. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, I felt the scene at the museum was kind of poignant. Uh, like it was a lot more heartfelt than I would have expected from this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, because he's seeing, because he's kind of realizing, oh, everyone I know is dead. Seen them in real life, so <laughs> if anybody hasn't seen it, they should they should watch. Polly Shore is dead. It kind of mm-hmm. it kind of is a reflection on the character and. Uh, well, his current reality is a reflection of uh, times that he was popular. 
is he like really miserable now or well the the premise of the movie is that he fakes his death in order to gain uh popularity and uh relevance again oh. and uh it, it's actually a pretty fun movie i think you watched it with me didn't you jake i don't think so i want to see it no no you I... did watch it with me because i know i showed sure? that to you yeah, we picked it up at movie stop. If you did, it made it no. If you, if we saw it together, it made no impact on me. Yeah, <laughs> <well>. <laughs> it was a Pauly Shore movie. So anyway, no, Pauly Shore is BoJack Horseman. Yeah, that's his life now. I wonder if he was ever on that. He had. He would have uh, had to have been, right? You would think so. Let's think for it. He would be. Too bad he's getting a reputation as. As being like a total jerk uh, to most fans, which is a sad thing. Oh, apparently he has an appearance as the character Johnny Blowhole in your favorite series, Brandon, Star vs. the Forces of Evil. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Blowhole. That's a different, Blowhole is a different movie for people who have particularly big holes. He did have it. He did have some appearances as himself on Entourage, which makes sense. <laughs> he was a voice in Casper: A Spirited Beginning, and he was a voice in Casper Meets Wendy. So, yeah. and he had it on Futurama. Well, he played him on Futurama, but on Futurama, he was a total jerk. Yeah. Like, um, well, <laughs> oh, man, there we go. Goofy movie. It's like Bruce Campbell in uh, My Name is Bruce. Like he's just bad guy in real life, unfortunately. Oh, and you know, I mentioned earlier Twenty One Jump Street. Polly Shore's first credited role was on Twenty One Jump Street. Yep. Sorry, Bruce Campbell. Yeah, is worth having in the collection just for the fact that it is important that it kicked off that mm-hmm. level of film. It, mm-hmm. it, it was, it is an important film in that perspective because those, Bru- those Bruce Campbell, those uh, Polly Shore films were a thing. It was a phenomenon mm-hmm. of the 90s. And it just is, uh, and even today, those uh, aftershocks can be felt. And all the aftershocks originated within Sino Man. <laughs> all right. Yeah, this was, a, this was a fun movie too. Like I, yeah. I'm really happy you guys got me to watch this because I almost skipped tonight because I was feeling kind of eh. <laughs> it's relatively enjoyable. That's the strange thing about it. It is. <laughs> I think it's just straight up enjoyable. I don't think I would put any real caveats on it aside from you know if you're maybe sensitive to. Uh, the three-letter F word, uh, like they do, drop it near the end just once. But the guy does immediately get his ass beat, so I I would fully recommend it. <laughs> I laughed so hard, I loved it. <laughs> I specifically always remember the staple to the wall scene. Uh, oh, oh, that was just a nasty move. That was classic because I've seen it happen in my own high school. Oh wow! <laughs> Not that I had oh, anything to do with. 
<laughs> but well, I've seen it happen. Okay. Well, again, it's uh, it's a staple of those times. If you watch so any nineties or eighties com, if you watch any comedy uh, up until like a certain point in time, and I'm talking like mid two thousand tens, because even especially in the early two thousands, is there you've got to you've got to expect that it's going to be something offensive. It's just a weird... <laughs> actually in the early two thousands they looked. They worked literally hard to offend you in the early 2000s. With it being Pride Month, I, I figured I'd just, you know, give some advance warning in case people wanted to check it out, but we're, you know, yeah, you gotta, you gotta, You gotta look at, you gotta project back to the time. Yeah, and That's for the time, like it, for the time, it was pretty, uh, pretty friendly. <laughs> Yeah, he could have done a whole lot worse. That's oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Alrighty. Favorite scenes. Uh, starting with you, Dustin. Why do we have to start with me? It's hard to pick just one. <laughs> you can say... Start with Dane. You're on the spot now, Dane. Go. Oh, well, I, uh, I already said which was the part where he says, he's a caveman. Yay! So that was just a good upending of that cliche. No! <laughs> <laughs> It's hard not to pick that. Okay. <laughs> Actually, I do have one if you want one. It's one that we hadn't mentioned, which was in the bar scene where you had the guy who was like, don't you see this? Don't you dare uh, put your eyes on my girl. And then when he's uh, speaking uh, there, he's speaking in Spanish, like she's like, it's like, it's like moldy cheese and all this. It's like, yeah, you're right. And then she smacks him in the face. Then he's <laughs> sobbing and crying. And in the corner. <laughs> 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 yeah, that was pretty fun. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll have to say, uh, say that my favorite, uh, uh, one of my favorite moments is, uh, what, uh, what, uh, it's in that same area uh, where the, the, uh, the one uh, uh, Spanish guy, he's he, he goes Polly and Polly uh, and um, well, and uh, what's his name? And uh, he, Sean Aston, and uh, he's like, "Hey, you see that woman over there? Do not touch her. She's my, uh, she's she's my girl, Holmes." And then you can see Brandon Fraser eyeing her up, and then he takes uh, takes her away. He like picks her up and carries her off. Uh, right. <laughs> it's like, like uh oh, and then they're like dancing like in the conga line together, and it's like oh, it's okay. Actually, yeah, it's that 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 scene. You you think of that scene, you think to yourself that should be kind of offensive in one way or the other. Uh, stereotype wise, but mm -hmm. in a way, it was kind of uh, fun, and it didn't. Uh, I didn't consider it necessarily offensive because they were all friends by the end of it. The Spanish guys drove them home. Yeah, I actually like that part of the the straight arrow girl getting out of the car, like those low ladder car, and the boyfriend's sitting there like, this is the element you're with now, and it's like... She just gives him this withering look, like, what do you mean, element? You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she, she, thankfully, that's one thing I'll say is that, yeah, they're, 
they're a little thinly written. The the female characters not as bad as they could have been, but like right. one thing I will say is that they did seem to call out the jerkiness of the bully relatively quickly, which was refreshing yeah. as well, uh, because mm-hmm. it usually takes them until the very end to get over that, but it proceeded in a way that was a bit more believable in terms of the pacing of it. Like, it wasn't all at once, one way or the other. Uh, it was a gradual process, but it proceeded in a way that you could say, yeah, I, I can see that, and I can see why they might, you know, like a uh, caveman because like yeah he's more you know uh primitive and more like i guess you could say classically assertive in some ways but also not in other ways because he doesn't fight back at first because uh, he's just he's just more i'm sure that he probably could have fucking torn him in half uh if yeah, he wanted oh, yeah. if he wanted he just he just seemed more dazed than anything because he was like well people are being really nice to me and then there's this guy who just hits me you know and like, all, like surprised i think that you have those people yeah, like, 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 man and you took a hit from him man. yeah yeah but that's the thing is he took that hit and he acted as if it was nothing and then just ignored the guy and that was impressive to everybody else like this is the mm-hmm. first time somebody's actually stood up to this dude and that's just uh and, and i agree that's you know something you look at and enjoy and as far as she's concerned i understand why she didn't go for the main character at first because he comes on like this obsessed Shakespeare. Oh yeah, yeah. He comes out with that with that picture of them taking a bath together in the theater. I, mean, I can't imagine why they didn't just turn her on at the moment. Oh, oh man, how many people have you shown this? Nobody, just you. Oh, here, I'll take it. And it's like, okay, only you can show people. I get. It's all right. That's your copy. It's like, yeah, <laughs> he's so he's so hopeless. <laughs> Uh, I think that overall is kind of my favorite is kind of my favorite scene, uh, yeah. which has already been almost fully described. But like, like they're the first time they're invited to kind of hang out with the cool kids, mm-hmm. and everybody is just totally into ca- into the caveman and just sort of ignores them. Mm-hmm. And oh then God. when I, I I know his name is Matt, but I keep trying to call him Brad because he looks like a Brad. Uh, when he hits the caveman, mm. and he's just like surprised. He's like, "Huh?" Yeah. And it's like, oh shit! Like I, I kept expecting him to like, you know, pick the guy up and like throw him through a wall, but different in the in the bleachers are like, "Dude, he just took it!" Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, gave them more respect for him because he was able to Yeah, and the next day at, and the next day at school they're like, Whoa man, that was awesome. Um <laughs> uh, and then I think I'll probably tie it I think I'll I'll give it a tie with uh, the museum scene and just how poignant that was too. So because this had this had a lot of about as good moments in it, so it was hard for me to pick a favorite, but I think I'll do a tie between the skating rink and the museum. Okay. Um, as far as music uh, uh, goes, I really liked the bath scene uh, with them. Even though I know it was I. Yeah, this was a real. This was an MTV movie. This was kind of an. This was an MTV movie with a lot of like really. 
National Lampoon moments. There are, there are a lot of good songs, uh, but I can't name. But they just—they all felt like perfect for each moment. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Uh, anyone else uh, about the the soundtrack to the film? Oh, I mean, classic man, a classic early '90s. That's all we mm-hmm. need from. But that's that's any film like this. That's Wayne's. Well, not Wayne's World. Let's let's. That's in its own uh, bracket. <laughs> well, that's the composer like, to this movie. That's Bill and Ted. That's. Uh, I mean, that's Weekend at Bernie's. That's these type of films. In a nutshell, it's the film. It's the music of the times, and it rocks in general. <laughs> Holy shit! Mm-hmm. The, uh, the, uh, the composer of this uh, film was J. Peter Robinson, and he he did the music behind Cocktail, Wayne's World, The World's Fastest Indian, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Uh, it was uh, uh, he did the music to Erie, Indiana. Yeah, it was a good too. Oh, Kindred, The Embraced, some of the Tales from the Crypt episodes. The unfortunate abomination that was Generation X. <laughs> some of the Your Outer Limits episodes. Interesting, yeah. Hmm. Definitely cool. Actually, when will Generation X get a uh, oh, I don't know. DVD release? Do we really want to see this? I don't know. <laughs> I want to see it, because, but uh, I never got to. <laughs> yeah, you didn't miss anything. Oh, I think it's getting high here, guys. Yeah. Uh, Alrighty. Have we covered everything? I think so. Well, we've covered the major points, because, you know, there's a lot you could talk about in this movie. Right. There's just, there's just so much fun stuff here, and it really is a time mm-hmm. capsule. Uh, mm-hmm. So, if you want something... If you want something wild that'll remind you of a time that kind of never was, <laughs> then Peter <laughs> Man should be your jam. Damn. Uh, right. feel old. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk to the original Encino Man. Uh, Brandon, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what you <laughs> Yeah, I'm Septim Sun vs. the World. We're a uh, physical media channel. Uh, we like to do pickup. Uh, we do release news. Uh, we keep adding on to it because it seems Amazon is, str- is starting to move farther and farther away from physical media, as is yeah. everybody else, uh, which is a sad thing. But uh, we are uh, still trying to get those new releases out. And, of course, we do uh, weekly vlogcasts. And one of our new segments is debuting next week on the 29th. We are doing monthly anime reviews. And uh, this month, on, the, uh, on Monday the 29th, we are discussing the uh, series Paranoia Agent. And, of nice. course, we will be doing that live at uh, between 8 and 8.30 Eastern Standard Time, uh, give or take how long it takes us to film our other two episodes. And uh, it's going to be a fun thing, so I hope you all join us. Of course, I'm also uh, working with 
uh, inside movies galore to help uh, schedule things. And mm-hmm. uh, we've got super Se- superhero summer coming out in July, and mm-hmm. voting is already underway. All the polls mm-hmm. are done. And uh, the poll area that would be common to this group would be delusions of grandeur. So if you guys uh, want to vote, you should go over to that and vote there. Though there are polls in various other places as well. And um, But next week is the last of our kind of individualized uh, weeks where we get on my birthday pick because this uh, discussion will be actually spot on on my birthday, the 30th of June. Mm-hmm. And uh, it will be uh, a pre-show of uh, Give My Regards to Broad Street, which is a good setup to the uh, film for discussion across the universe, which at this point is my favorite film. Across the universe? Yeah, that's a, that's a good movie. Mm-hmm. It is indeed. Well, I definitely think so. <laughs> never, <laughs> never, never heard of it, honestly. Oh, it's I saw it back. Uh, it, I saw it back yeah, when I it do. first came out on DVD, and actually, I'll be honest, that was my. I, I mean, I I had heard uh, the Beatles uh, one, you know, when that came out in two thousand, which mm-hmm. is their you know twenty seven number one hits collection. Yeah. And I, I did that. Well, that that was a not only a good entree to the Beatles, but it that was like the best selling album of the two thousands, uh, which is pretty amazing. Well, it's uh, it's kind of cops, so I don't know. Oh, but it's it's true though. But the uh, the then when it came to like the deeper cuts, and especially like those uh, albums, like my favorite album, the White Album, that didn't have any singles from it, um, which, and uh, a lot of songs from the White Album are in Across the Universe, which right. uh, which, oh, yeah. which makes me very happy, because uh, it's my favorite. They even name drop songs that aren't in it. I think Max gets a name drop. Like, they name drop quite a few of them, but the point is, like, that was a good entree for me to get into the Beatles catalog as a whole, mm-hmm. uh, particularly the songs that were not singles and are not as well known by people that don't mm-hmm. really know the deep cuts and uh, and I like the White Album the most specifically because mm-hmm. it was so eclectic and it was so not a like normal singles driven album even though there were songs that definitely could have been singles but uh, I just liked that it was what it was and it had a little bit of everything mm-hmm. anyway so it's going to be fun it's uh, one that's going to be tinged with my favorite film and a film that is almost as nostalgic for me as Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Mm-hmm. Fact, uh, out of the, out of those two, uh, the two soundtracks for Give My Regards to Broad Street and Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome uh, made up a lot of my childhood. So it is going to be an interesting one to be sure. As I, as I turn 41, uh, which, uh, uh, which, of course, I've already, already uh, established that I'm old with uh, this particular movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but not as old as Polly Shore, who was 24 at the time that he did this movie. <laughs> Ouch. Mm. <laughs> Oof. Rough. <laughs> so he's like, what, 80 now? 
2492. I would like to think he is not quite that old. <laughs> yeah, I would like to think so. He's about 10 years older than I am, so that would probably put him in like his 50s right now. That's kind of sad. That's a that's a wild laugh there, damn. Jake, well, yeah, one, one need only look at, like, ages of people to really feel, like, how old... How old Somebody cue Johnny Cash's hurt. Uh, oh, like, Summon Aston was born two days after... Like, his birthday's two days after mine. But he was... He's ten years older than me. I didn't realize that. So he was already pretty old when this came out. I actually met him. Um, he was at UWM uh, campaigning for. Uh, well, he was part of the Get Out the Vote in 2016, and I met him and Will Wheaton at UWM. Oh wow! And um, he's actually he's actually kind of short. Like he's I think he's shorter than me. I think he's shorter than me. Well, I mean, think about like what his best role like five. 10, 9 ish. Oh, well, I'm, I'm only 5'4, so, you know. Oh, you might be the same height. If you, you think about what's probably his best known roles, I mean, you know, Lord of the Rings, he plays a hobbit, you know, and. Uh, I remember him to Stranger Things now. I've never, I've never met him, unfortunately, but I met someone he played. We actually, probably one of the earliest people I met who was like, you know, well-known or whatever, uh, but I, you know, uh, was, of course, his follow-up, I think, to this film, maybe, was the film Rudy, and the character he played, Rudy Rudiger, was doing a, uh, uh, like, a tour of various, you know, schools and such, uh, in, you know, from... One was the inspirational speeches and whatnot. So I actually met the real Rudy Rudiger. But um, it was interesting that uh, that's what I knew Sean Astin from before Lord of the Rings. I had not seen this. I had not seen Goonies. Strangely enough, I did not see Goonies until at least high school, if not later. Goonies for me, really. I don't remember what Goonies is even about. Ah, well, for my generation, that has to be a selection. Yeah. I really am starting to black out, so I'm just going to go. Okay. Uh, uh, right. uh, Jake, it was your turn to go, so why don't you oh. go ahead and uh, knock yeah. it out for us? As far as uh, just our outro? Yes. Okay. Well, I'm going to be DJ. I'm often on Simpton Zoom versus the World and on this channel and Delusions of Grandeur. I play in a lot of different sandboxes. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's good times. And um, one of these days, I will, I will get my editing software up and start contributing more, but first time in time. In time, it would be nice to have time. It would be nice to have the kind of time I had when this movie came out. <laughs> we all like that. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm uh, Dustin, also known as the Crypt of Horrors here on YouTube. I collect anything horror related and show it off on the, the channel with my pickup videos. I also have an Instagram uh, also called the Crypt of Horrors. Uh, where I'm not as active, but I post stuff there from time to time. Uh, I'm hoping to shoot some more videos a little later this week, so 
uh, that's something to look forward to. And you can find me on Twitter at DuraCryptaxis, which uh, I eventually want to just like shorten the name of my channels and stuff to Cryptaxis. Uh, because the Crypt of Horrors is quite a mouthful. Uh, and eventually, I'm launching a solo horror podcast. So, I'm going to quit trying to, like, guess when I'm going to be able to start it, though, because it'll be when all my other work is done, which is unending. <laughs> well, thank you for coming uh, coming on. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. I must appreciate it. Oh, and I definitely watch Crypt of Horrors. He put some very cool stuff. I mean, I rarely see a lot of the vinyl and uh, cool stuff that he puts up on his show. Oh, man. I have... Um, as soon as... I'm working on getting, like, a new thing for my vinyl. And as soon as I do that, I'm going to do a vinyl collection tour. Oh, oh that's got to be freaking awesome. Yeah, it's going to have to be multiple parts, I think, though, because I have kind of a lot. But I'm basically uh, keeping them in, like, a cardboard box because I don't have anything better, so... Oh, man, if I had some wall space, I'd get some, like, laser discs or some vinyl, get some get some that are signed, and just put them all over the walls. It just <clears throat> work is amazing. I have so center. many posters and prints, like, I don't... I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, good night, guys. Good night. Good night. And Dane, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? I am Dane Kyle, a.k.a. Dane Dameron on YouTube, and I do a show called Blu-ray Views on a channel called Indie Horror Film Creative, and uh, where I do a lot of uh, unboxing of new Blu-rays and talk about them, because uh, I lost so much of my Blu-ray collection some time ago, but I broke it back up bigger and better than ever, and I've taken people on the journey with me. Um, and, uh, you know, because it's important to me, if you're a filmmaker, like I am, and you got to have a good film collection, so that way you can become a better filmmaker, and um, I will be starting up a no-money film school, but preferably when I can uh, build up a dedicated editing PC that is up to snuff, um, because I don't think my laptop can really do it to the degree that I would like, uh, at least not reliably. I, I could probably do it, but it would just be even more of a headache. And um, but anyway, yeah, I'm doing that. I'm really trying to get filmmaking started up again, which has been very difficult given coronavirus and everything. But um, yeah, so the um, the the Blu-ray cha Blu channel that I'm working on, like that, or the, that I have been working on, is primarily where I'm at these days, but it is by no means what I am only going to do anymore. Okay. And uh, my name is David Stregi. I, I am one of the founding fathers of Inside Movies Galore, uh, and, uh, and we have had an awesome journey to, uh, since we are talking about one of my favorite movies, or have talked about one of my favorite movies, which was in Casino Man. So, uh, but I also moonlight under a different channel called uh, Delusions of Grand Tour, where I do video pickups of my own, uh, Blu-ray and DVDs. And uh, I also do my own reviews from time to time, although that's kind of been at a standstill because I've just got to find the time myself. 
to uh, to sit down and record these bastards. So uh, it's uh, it's often a pain to find the time to do what you need uh, need to these days, and that's one uh, one uh, one thing that's hard to do. But I will plan on doing as many film reviews as I can in my lifetime. So mm-hmm. in any case. Um, for <laughs> coming along with us on this rambling journey, it was definitely nostalgic, and um, I'm definitely looking forward to your uh, your film discussions next week, Brandon. So. Oh, yeah, most definitely. <laughs> uh, but, uh, in any case, uh, like, share, and subscribe, and definitely follow us uh, along. We're Definitely not finished and not done. Uh, we are going to have a really cool uh, month coming up with Superhero Month. Uh, is that what we called it? Sure, why not? Superhero Summer. <laughs> Superhero Summer. So look, for, uh, I look forward to what uh, what the voters have in store for us. I'm sure it's not going to be as bad as the next presidency, but... Uh, in any case, uh, stay tuned for more exciting shit that we'll be talking about. And uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. So thank you so much. Have a great evening and morning wherever you are. And thank you so much. Night night. That's no moon. Where is everybody on? They're dead, Dave. Who is? Everybody, Dave. What, Captain Hollister? Everybody's dead, Dave. What, Todd Hunter? Everybody's dead, Dave. What, Selby? They're all dead. Everybody's dead, Dave. (laughs) Peterson isn't, is he? Everybody is dead, Dave. Not Chen. Gordon Bennett, yes, Chen. Everybody. Everybody's dead, Dave. Rimmer! He's dead, Dave. Everybody is dead. Everybody is dead, Dave. Wait. Are you trying to tell me everybody's dead? (laughs)